Welcome to Business Unmuted, thanks to our sponsor Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers, representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans and motorcycles. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb and I've owned Recognition PR for nearly 35 years. We have 75 clients in multiple sectors based across the UK. They have between them a turnover of around £6 billion and employ around 30,000 people. Now, that puts us at the front line of the business community and perfectly placed to discuss the economic climate. Now, we've got a full house today here in our studio. Uh, we've got Nigel Peacock and Tim Lambert, the architects firm Spa Architects. They are representatives of that firm. Nigel and Tim are both experienced architects based in North Yorkshire and deliver innovative buildings across multiple sectors. We also have Nikki Jolly, the founder and managing director of HR Today in Darlington. Nikki, Nikki is an HR professional with more than two decades of experience and works across SMEs and privately owned businesses all across the UK. And down the line, we have Donna James, Research Director at Populous Select, a firm that matches professionals, executives and CEOs to organisations, particularly in STEM sectors. So welcome everyone. Now you, you can see we're all, well, gentlemen's all got our ties on, our black tie on, and, uh, and Nikki and Donna both respectfully wearing black, and we've got a lovely picture of our late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. It's been an extraordinary week. It's been like a lifetime in a week, really. What do you think, Nikki? I think it's ever so sad. She's been there all my life. Mm. Um, and I, my husband described it, it's like losing your grandma, I have to say. And I think it's going to affect all of us over different periods of time. Yes, it's very I, sad. I think that's right. And I also think that King Charles has been absolutely magnificent in the last few days. You can't I mean, imagine, can you, what he's been through? No, not at all. And what were your first thoughts then, Donna? Uh, we, uh, well, incredibly sad, and uh, I know we all extend our deepest condolences to the uh, royal family, but um, we we all got used to uh, Her Late Majesty being there. She was a constant, she was a lodestone, and uh, we never really believed it would happen, although uh, we knew it would. And I, I agree with you, I think... Um, King Charles III is going to be splendid. Um, and I like to refer to the monarch um, as the most senior non-exec director in the land. What and I think... That's <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> I think we've, we're in good hands with uh, King Charles. I think that's absolutely correct. So, Nigel and Tim, your yep. first time in our Business Unmuted studio and a sad week to come in. Um, did, uh, did you have any reflections on what you've seen in the last um, week? It's been absolutely amazing. Uh, just extraordinary just watching the scenes unfold mm. uh, I mean we're all in uncharted territory as far as what comes next uh, we don't know but I, I think it's important to to focus on on the Queen and and what a fantastic role model mm. she's been um, you know and to, to be working so far into life you know that's absolutely what right. I do in 90s is incredible. We had an electrician visiting our, our office block uh, on the day after she passed away and he was saying, my goodness, he said, if some of my team were going to get that work ethic, you know, two days before her sad death mm. and she's conducting a very high, uh, high position of state job, the, the transfer of prime minister and did it with a smile on her face as well. Yeah, absolutely. Tim, any thoughts yeah. from you? Yeah, I think she's an incredible woman. Um, we've, well, I've got two young daughters and, and they're just kind of getting their head around what, what what's going on but it's really interesting to speak to them about all the different uh, 
processions yes. and, and the, the rules and regulations that go on and, and the swearing in of the, of the new king. And um, it, it's just, it's really interesting for me as well. My daughter was telling me that my granddaughter, who's only six, uh, had something very interesting to say. Uh, my daughter Jessica said to my granddaughter, watch the television, you're seeing history being mm. made. Mm. To which my little granddaughter Alice, the six-year-old, said, mummy, you always say that. And actually, <laughs> in the last few years, in six mm. years, that is true. She always yeah. says it. There's Brexit, there's the obviously the Queen, there's the Prime Minister, there's uh, ch changing hands, there's history being made all the time, the mm. pandemic. We've lived through momentous times, haven't we? We have. I think last week takes a bit of beating. It certainly new does. Prime Minister. New, yeah. and, new and Prime Minister and monarch. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, look, just to, uh, uh, let's just talk about the, this one element on personnel with you. You, uh, Nikki, of course, advise firms on personnel issues and HR issues. Um, what if companies uh, what do not need or wish to close, particularly maybe someone in hospitality and so on, the day of the funeral is a perverse bank holiday, holiday being the wrong word, I suppose, mm. but it is a, a public closure day. What, what, what are the rules and regs? Well, the official rules are it all comes down to how your contracts are written. Mm. So if it says in your contract that you are entitled to bank holidays, they are entitled to this as they were for the Jubilee. Mm. If it says your holidays are plus eight statutory bank holidays, you are not legally entitled to this day. I have to say so far, not one of our clients has refused to give this as a bank holiday. I appreciate there's some sectors that can't give the date. Mm. So what mm. they're doing is giving an additional day later down the line. A lot of my team actually want to have the time to watch the funeral, actually. Mm. There is a genuine desire to take a moment to pause and, and so on. Um, and, and we are closing our offices. Now, I'm being very clear with clients, if you want to have advice on that day, then we actually may charge you more money if you need to have a phone call. Mm. Uh, what, what's your position? Are you we are closing. Yeah, mm. absolutely. The minute it was announced, um, we WhatsApped our team just to say, we just want to be very clear in the respect of the Queen, we will be closing on Monday. Um, and, and and for me, that means closing as in no work. It doesn't mean closing as in people work from home unless there's an no. emergency. Donna, what about you? Our office is closed. No work is it's expected. That was made very clear to allow people to mourn our magnificent uh, late queen. Yes, and the same. I presume we've decided to close the office for the day. Yeah. Okay, uh, Nikki, uh, we've looked at the unemployment figures that were published today. Yes. Let's talk about some of the business of the day uh, that isn't to do with Her Majesty's sad passing. Uh, the unemployment figures came out today and they are remarkably resilient given all the problems in the economy. Uh, just to, to look at the national figure, it's 3.6%, remarkably low, uh, the lowest since the early 1970s. In the northeast, under 5%. And you know, in my lifetime, it's only been the last year that unemployment mm. has been below uh, 5%. And, and consistently around 5%, normally it's been 10%. What are these unemployment figures doing in your experience for people who are looking to both recruit and to manage their staff? It's still difficult. Everybody is still difficult. They're still struggling to actually recruit and get people through the door. Um, we've got people that are struggling to get people to attend an interview. Mm. Um, they're just not turning up. So there's still a shortage of people. We still mm. need more. Um, there's huge skill gaps, which unfortunately I believe is going to get worse because mm. minimum wage is going up. And what my 
trends are showing is people would rather employ more skilled people and pay more money because they're getting more out of them than people at the lower end who need to learn and develop. So we've had a skill shortage for years and I unfortunately feel we're, we're making that worse and it's only going to get worse over the next couple of years. So I think we need to have a, a reform. We mm. need to be helping better with training schemes, apprentices. People are not taking apprentices on because the bureaucracy behind them. You know, there's a whole big issue here that needs to be addressed. Is This is a very unpopular thing to I say. If the, if the general public are listening to me saying this, I'm sure they will be able to see it. But the minimum wage, which I'm generally very supportive of, is, is quite rigid at the moment, isn't it? Uh, you know, if you look at, uh, say, a coffee shop in the town centre, if you want someone full time on the minimum wage, you will have to be paying them nearly £20,000 a year and you won't be able to increase the price of your coffee and, and so on to, no. to justify that, will you? There are people that would be willing to work for less. And I think we have such a shortage at the moment that there needs to be some opportunity for that to happen, whether it's retired people, whether, you know, there's ways and means it can be looked at. I think we need to be careful of modern slavery. Yes. I absolutely yes, agree absolutely. that it's not about abusing people, yes. but it's about the affordability. We're all pulling in the purse strings. Everybody believes there's going to be a recession. People are looking at costs. We all are. I am. I'm looking at my fixed costs. I'm looking at how I can ensure that my business is still going to be there. I think it's fact we're not going to have some businesses. They're not going to survive the next couple of years mm -hmm. coming in this recession. I think we need to be looking at how we manage getting people through the door in an affordable way that we can develop their skills and pay. The biggest problem you've got is your skilled people are suffering because companies can't afford to pay the skilled people what they're entitled to because they're paying the minimum wage. Yeah. And I know it's an unpopular subject, but there has to be a means and a way for people to come in at entry level, develop and actually work in the organisation to build those skills to then be rewarded to what they're entitled to. Well, you mentioned retired people there, and that's an interesting point because it is possible to have a minimum wage for an apprentice that's slightly lower. So you don't yes. have the skills, you're younger, you, you can have a slightly different minimum wage. Would it be, do you think, fair and equitable to say to someone who's maybe retired from their regular job and is claiming the state pension that maybe they could have a minimum wage that was slightly less, not obviously slave labour, no. but that valued their time and their, their effort as well. I don't know, for particularly lighter duties like working in a coffee shop or that kind of thing. It would ease the pressure that we're all suffering. Everybody's working long hours. They're all having to plug the gap. Service is falling. Mm -hmm. You know, I do think there are things that we can be looking at and there are other sources of employees, aren't there, as well? Donna, of course, you're at the very different end of the scale, not the minimum wage, and you're trying to place really highly skilled people uh, in, in, uh, in jobs. What do you think the issue of the current economy is doing in terms of mobility of those people, the willingness to move? What we're seeing is that, indeed, it's a candidate's market. And um, whereas you might think that people want to stay in their roles because you know the economic storm clouds gathering actually we're seeing people moving and they're willing to move because uh, they're in a very strong position and a lot of these professional level um, uh, candidates are looking for different things from their employment um, a lot are being uh, led by values they want uh, employers to be a lot more flexible 
um, providing flexible working hours and um, hybrid working, etc. But a lot of these high-level professionals are saying to us, I want to do something worthwhile. I want to work for a company that has great values and values their employees, not ne necessarily in terms of high wages, but in terms of progression, in terms of clear goals, and crucially, and I've seen this across all sectors, in terms of autonomy, autonomy of action. So not being micromanaged, but being given clear targets, clear goals, and able to make that strategy and take those uh, decisions to, to, to attain those targets. Okay. Now, in the context of the economy, there's a lot of, uh, we've had a torrent, until the Queen passed away, there was a torrent of bad news literally flooding the airwaves, whether it be um, this, economic for, this economic forecaster or that economic forecaster, mm -hmm. or the GDP being lower than expected, or interest rates going up more because the Bank of England had to play catch up. But the, the, one thing that wasn't affected was the jobs market. It felt that it's, it's a, a, a downturn with no implication on jobs. Is this possible? Is this the real deal, do you think? Or is it just a lagging indicator, Donna? Many, many commentators have said, oh, well, at last um, we're seeing a fall in the vacancy, vacancy rates. And that is true in today's release that uh, uh, the number of vacancies has dropped slightly, but we still see um, a huge number of vacancies, still 1.2 million unfilled jobs. Now, you know, that's that's massive. It's a really tight labour market. And also, um, I think this is shown by the jobs data, again released today um, by the Office for Nat National Statistics, that show that there are a record high number of jobs, mostly led by employed um, jobs. Um, there, are, there are some um, indicators showing uh, an increase in self-employed jobs. So now I think it is possible that jobs are still being created. Now, our placements are for um, new, newly created roles, newly created jobs. The people that we're placing are not going in to replace others. And, you know, this I'm talking um, in the Northeast, I'm talking nationally and internationally, jobs are being created still. And that's a large part, perhaps, because of the sectors we work in, uh, the great innovators, uh, we're working in um, biotech, green tech, and so on and so forth. And, you know, that is echoed in the Northeast where we see great innovation. Um, we have nearly 50% of um, Northeast companies being classified as um, uh, uh, innovate, uh, innovation active. That means they're trying to improve their products and uh, processes. So I don't think it's lagging. It may slow, but we're seeing job creation, definitely. So I think... Uh, we, we can look positively um, at, at some of the economic indicators. Donna, thank you for that contribution. And I think if we were to take Donna at face value, and I think we should, she's obviously got some evidence here. So we look at uh, Tim and Nigel from Spar Architects. It's clear that the Bank of England isn't going to have, it's going to have to take this real. The, the unemployment isn't going down. Therefore, if you want to cool the economy down, interest rates are going up. And we've had the MPC delay its decision because of the period of national mourning. 
perhaps when the MPC from the Bank of England comes back, interest rates will go up again. Now you're in uh, long-term projects, forward planning, you're there designing projects for domestic and commercial use. Do you think that the economy is going to be overheating? Do you think it's justified to put the interest rates up, Nigel? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I wouldn't. I hope they don't put the interest rates up, because from developers generally, obviously, don't like interest rates, because they're borrowing huge sums of money to to pay for these developments, and even the some of the larger developments that we do that have an, in, uh, an extent of government money put into them, they've still got a shortfall to find. Mm. So if they're having to borrow money at higher rates, effectively it's bound to, to reduce the amount of building work that they decide to do, ultimately. Now, you're at the sharp end because you're at the front end of a forward project for construction. Yes, what yeah. you design today may not be built for a couple of years. So what, what, what are your inquiry levels like? Uh, we've gone through a bit of a lull earlier this year. Uh, to be honest, which uh, resulted in a bit of a low workload. We're, we're glad to say it's beginning to pick up a little bit, um, but predominantly on the social housing side, you know, where there's that little bit of uh, government uh, investment. Let's talk about what you do specialise in, because I know that in the northeast of England, you've been doing work on specialist labs for the pharmaceutical sector, yeah, indeed, yeah. And, and also extra care housing, as you just alluded yeah. to, specialist again for elderly or people with uh, uh, special needs. Yeah. Um, so that kind of project is something that requires a degree of specialisation. Uh, it is indeed. Uh, we, we actually have a, a team of uh, very experienced staff who, who know the products inside out. Mm. Um, and, and just going back to what we're saying about uh, bringing younger people in it's actually something we'd like to do um, except the trouble is while we've got so many older people they're all on good salaries we can't justify more bodies on seats just yet just yet but, but we do need to bring in fresh ideas to liven things up a little now, now Tim um, you handle the domestic side people's houses and there you are based in Stokesley between two national parks the Dales to the east uh, the west of you the yeah. North Yorkshire Moors to the east of you um, I suppose that kind of uh, uh, work specialist uh, refurbing particularly in national parks this is a this is something that you need to understand some of the rules and regs on yeah, the um, certainly North North Yorkshire Moors National Park, where we do quite a lot of remodelling, refurbishment work, extensions. Um, they're they're quite stringent in terms of the um, planning rules that we need to abide by. Um, so you often find, if we're talking about economically, um, kind of the budget constraints are less so than the statutory constraints. So that's where kind of our specialisms come in. We get to um, analyse the projects, we give a good clear indication of what they can and can't do, but also um, we try and push the boundaries a little bit for our clients. Uh, we try and look to uh, kind of renewable, sustainable energy, um, making buildings more thermally efficient and try and kind of bring the uh, authorities to look at uh, a kind of more contemporary approach than your traditional barn conversions and... Um, sounds sounds like your grand designs in person. You're the, you're well, the grand designs of Stokes. We're, we're trying and, and, and I think um, over the last couple of years we've tried to kind of improve the, the quality of the, of the developments and mm. try and um, raise some of our clients' aspirations a little bit and, and just explain to them that it doesn't particularly cost a lot more money to do what we're proposing. 
um, but just a little bit of innovation, a little bit of foresight of, um, you know, and a bit of a kind of a dream of uh, creating a better home or business premises or whatever they, uh, whatever the project is. Now you call, I don't know if you call SPA architects or SPA architects. It's, I don't know. It's actually you, SPA. SPA, that's <laughs> yeah. right. But the architects firm that you work with has, has now been uh, a, a very, very long serving firm in the northeastern Yorkshire, hasn't it? It is indeed, 52 years. 52 years. What changes have you seen? You're obviously, you've worked for a long time, but in your tenure in the recent times, what changes yeah. are you seeing to the way your practice works? Uh, it's the technological side, really. I mean, when I first joined the practice back in 95, I think it was, we still had drawing boards. Right. And, and there was a mix between the drawing boards and the computers, and some of us were a little bit frightened of computers. I think the same people still are a little okay. bit frightened. It's the younger ones who seem to be able to make the most of them. <laughs> um, but ab absolutely everything is done on the computer. So um, and we don't even post drawings out to people now. And what about the, the way in which planning permissions are decided? There's a lot of scope in the recent government changeover. Liz Truss was saying uh, before she became Prime Minister that she needed to speed up the actual decisions, not necessarily change the rules, but get them to sped, sped up. Have you noticed and would you like to see changes in that? Uh, we'd like to see changes. We'd like everything to be uh, speeded up a little bit. Um, but there's so much to take into consideration now. Mm. You know, they, they say they want to speed things, but then they introduce new issues. You know, we've got ecology issues to look at. Um, nutrient issues is a current one in, in this area, which is causing problems. Um, you, you've got all sorts of supporting information that's required. We have to look at ground investigations just before we even get to that. Before you even design the front door, you're going to look at all absolutely. that. Absolutely. I think there's a, there's a couple of issues, isn't there? There's the issues that Nigel have, <coughs> has discussed, which is over the last 10, 15 years, we've probably increased the amount of information we submit to a for a planning application by about 75%, if not more. Um, there's also an issue of available staff at the local authorities to deal with the applications. Um, I think at this moment in time, they're inundated both um, planning and building control inundated with applications and there's just not enough staff to deal with them. But before we talk, I'm going to end in a moment, but before we talk ourselves into a gloomy bit, <laughs> I was very pleased that uh, I was talking to two major uh, businesses that I know well just in the last 24 hours uh, about uh, how their business has been and one of them uh, runs a big subscription service and one of them sells high-end consumer products and they both said that and the weekend after the energy price cap was announced, there was a distinct upturn in take-up because people had gone home and worked out what their energy bills were. The energy price cap has made a big difference and certainly if you take the anecdotal evidence I've just, uh, just given, then hopefully that will be as good as a, a, a will counter any interest rate rise and more because that's the yeah. big worry that people had. Well, we've got photovoltaics on our house, so we um, we tend to just put things like the dryer and the washing machine on when the sun's out. So <laughs> there we are. That's the yeah. way to do it. Well, mm -hmm. if you want to know how to get around the energy price cap, talk to SBA architects, and they'll be able to work it out for you. But uh, Nikki, Donna, uh, Tim, uh, and Nigel, thank you for joining us thank on you. this episode thank of you. Business thank Unmuted. Thank you.